you're listening to Live with Lija. I'm your host, Lija, duh. I'm a lawyer and YouTuber, and I keep you up to date with a zero BS take on the news every Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m. Central, live on YouTube. And then I post that audio here for you as a podcast so you can listen on the go, you busy fucking bee. Enjoy. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hello. Happy indictment day. Well, he was indicted already, but you know what I mean. We're going to look at it. I'm not going to get into super detail with this indictment, frankly, because it's been kind of beat. I was going to say beat like a dead horse, but God, that's kind of bleak. Yeah, People have been doing that, okay? Um, there's just a few, like, points and pieces of it that I would love to look at because it's very fun. But uh, how is everyone? Happy Thursday. I got some new athletic wear. I'm on a kick where like all I wear are like browns and beiges and I love it. Happy to see everyone here. Um, the Canadian wildfire smoke has reached Minnesota. <clears throat> Last night was spooky. It was literally like the air quality was half as bad as what it was in New York. So I literally can't imagine because it smelled like a bonfire. Like you could see the haze everywhere. I was spooked. Like the like little lizard reptilian part of the back of my brain that's still there was like firing. Cause it was like smoke, smoke, you have to run. You have to run smoke, smoke, smoke. You know, so um, not great. Also, I did not have time to like fully style my hair. I just had to blow dry and run. So you're getting me in my puffy glory. So anyway, I have last summer or two summers ago, we also got really bad Canadian wildfire smoke here in Minnesota. And so I bought some air purifiers back then because I was like, something tells me this is going to keep happening. And so I've had my air purifiers on just full blast for the last day or not last day, last 12 hours. Um, the like air quality warning is supposed to lift by tomorrow morning. I ha do have plans to like be outside tonight, so we'll see what that's going to be like. Um, but yeah, spooky. Hope everyone's staying safe. I, I wore my um, KN95 mask on my hot girl walk this morning to the gym. So that was good. Just precautionary. It's certainly less hazy this morning than it was yesterday. So hopefully we're on the, the up and up. The up and up. All right. Let's get into it. Let's Trump o'clock it. It's Trump o'clock. I do see one question here that popped up. Just let's just address it now. One thing I haven't seen addressed, how are they so confident they'll be able to put together an entire jury without a Trump cult member on it? Um, they're not confident. I don't think I don't think people I don't think prosecutors are confident. I don't I think Trump feels pretty good. Hold on. Let me move this down a little. There you go. I think Trump feels like probably maybe not good, but like there is hope that they can get a couple um, pro Trumpers on there. That'll, that'll get it to a hung jury because you're correct. The conviction has to be unanimous. So they're hoping to throw in a couple Trumpers to, to hang up the jury. So this is not, there's no, no one who knows anything about law is saying like clear cut case in the bag. 
because I don't think you can say that about any case ever. There's just, there's just, you can't, you can't say that about any case. So yes, there's a lot of obstacles still left between now and any sort of like conviction, because there's also the question of like, when this is all going to go down that we'll get into. Let me pop up the indictment. I have the indictment here for your viewing pleasure. It's 49 pages long. I did not read the whole thing because again, it's been, it's been gone over with a fine tooth comb by so many people. Um, and I didn't want to go line by line with you guys because again, it's been done, but there was just one thing that I wanted to touch on. And that is this kind of smoking gun piece of evidence that they have on him. Um, they first mention it here on page three. Um, they say on two occasions in 2021, Trump showed classified documents to others. And this one in July, 2021, a Trump national at Trump national golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, during an audio recorded meeting with a writer, a publisher, and two members of his staff, none of whom possessed a security clearance. Trump showed and described a plan of attack that Trump said was prepared for him by the Department of Defense and a, and a senior military official. Trump told the individuals that the plan was highly confidential and secret. Trump also said, as president, I could have declassified it and now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. Okay, and then further detail of that is on page 15. There's all sorts of fun pictures. I highly recommend reading through this whole indictment. There's like, it's, it's damning to say the least. Okay. So this is the, the transcript of that. Upon greeting the writer, publisher, and his two staff members, Trump stated, look what I found. This was the senior military official's plan of attack. Read it and just show it's interesting. It's really hard to read Trump's verbatim like words because he doesn't form full sentences when he speaks. It's very strange. Later in the interview, Trump engaged in the following exchange. Trump, well, with the senior military official, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack country A. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look, this was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the defense department, department and him, writer. Wow, <laughs> Trump. We looked at some, this was him. This wasn't done by me, this was him. All sorts of stuff, pages long, look. Staffer, hmm, Trump, wait a minute, let's see here. Staffer, yeah, Trump, I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Staffer, mm-hmm, Trump, except it is like highly confidential. Staffer, yeah, ha ha ha. <laughs> Trump, secret, this is secret information. Look, look at this, you attack and, and then cut off a little later, Trump, by the way, isn't that incredible? Staffer, yeah, Trump, I was just thinking because we were talking about it and you know, he said he wanted to attack country A and what, Staffer, you did, Trump, this was done by the military and given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? <laughs> Staffer, I don't know, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to, Trump, declassify it. Staffer, figure out it, yeah, Trump. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Staffer, yeah, ha ha ha. Trump, now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. Staffer, yeah, ha, 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 now we have a problem. Trump, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Just batshit crazy. You can't make this shit up. Okay, so the reason why I wanted to go over that is because um, I believe 31 of the 37 counts against him are based on the Espionage Act, which is 18 USC 793E specifically. And so I wanted to look at the indictment and then go over the 
actual language of the statute. Let me see, let me get rid of these. Um, because I just thought it was an interesting exercise. So anytime you bring a claim against anyone, whether it's criminal or civil, every claim there is a law or a judge-made rule that lays out the elements of the case. You have to make a prima facie or prima facie or people describe it different ways. There's a new musical or play called Prima Facie. I don't know what it's about, but you have to make a prima facie showing or prima facie showing of the claim, meaning you have to hit every single element that is outlined in the statute. And of course, statutes don't lay out the elements like that. They don't say element one is, element two is. You have to suss out the elements based on how the statute is written. So I thought it would be a fun thing to show you the elements and to show you why this is such a smoking gun piece of evidence. And it is rare to find something that is just one recording that hits every element. So let's go through it. He is being, there are many, there are 37 counts against him. 31 of them are under 18 USC 793E, which is the Espionage Act. And if we go down to E, this is E. Whoever having unauthorized possession of any document, I highlighted the important parts because there's a lot of wording because they have to add words to account for like every possible scenario. So I, I highlighted the words that are important here. Whoever having unauthorized possession of any document relating to the national defense willfully communicates, delivers, transmits, or causes to be communicated the same to any person not entitled to receive it or willfully retains the same and fails to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. So this is where the he could be imprisoned up to 10 years for every count, usually though, so if he's found guilty on 31 counts, he's not gonna go to prison for 310 years, even though he could go to prison for 10 years for every count. Usually they're served concurrently. So it would be 10 years and all 31 counts would be served concurrently. But he could go to prison for up to 10 years, if not more, I haven't looked into the other counts against him, but for this specific one, up to 10 years. So these are the elements. He has to have unauthorized possession, meaning he has it and he's not supposed to have it of the end document. The document has to be relating to the national defense. He has to willfully communicate, deliver or transmit that document to any person not entitled to receive it or willfully retain the same and fail to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States. And he's done both allegedly, according to this complaint. He has both communicated the same to a person not entitled to receive it, the writers, the staffers, none of whom had security clearance, and allegedly willfully retained those documents and failed to deliver it to the officer employee of the United States entitled to receive it. And that's the whole, he had the documents, the government asked for it back, he hid the documents allegedly, he said, mm, yeah, I only found these few, I don't have any more. And then the Department of Defense or the Department of Justice came in, searched, found a bunch of others. And uh, there was a document that one of his lawyers signed saying they did a due diligence search, even though, as we saw in this complaint, there were just boxes sitting around in toilets and showers. Um, so we've got like a lot of evidence, it appears, that he allegedly... Uh, 
willfully retained these documents. And willfully, just to give you a definition, the term willfully legally means that the forbidden act was done deliberately and with knowledge. It does not require proof of evil intent. So he did it deliberately and with knowledge. And that's where this is such a smoking gun. Let me zoom in a little bit. So he said, first of all, hold on, let's go down here. This is highly confidential. Okay. He knows it's a secret. He knows that it's about attacking a country. So he knows it's about national defense. He knows it's a secret. And he says, this is secret information. Look, <laughs> I don't know how much more clearly you can show that someone is actively willfully showing someone secret information that he knows is supposed to be secret. And on top of that, he says, um, I think we can probably declassify it. As president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, but this is still a secret. He knew he was supposed to have declassified it. He knew that he didn't declassify it. He knew that he didn't have the authority to have it. He had it anyway, and he showed it to people. Allegedly. You really can't get any more smoking gun than that. Like, this is a prosecutor's wet dream to come across a recording like this. I can't even imagine whatever low lackey who was going through all the documents who came across this recording and got to, like, tell it to their superior or whatever. That must have been a moment for them in that prosecutor's office to be like, holy fuck. That hits every element, my friends. He did not have authorized possession, and he knew he didn't have authorized possession of a document relating to the national defense. He willfully, meaning deliberately and with knowledge, he willfully communicated that document to a person not entitled to receive it, and willfully, meaning deliberately and with knowledge, retained those documents and failed to deliver them to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it allegedly, according to this complaint. That's pretty damning. Uh, in fact, two of his lawyers quit after the indictment was unsealed and he had to scramble to get a legal team down in Florida because two of his lawyers saw this indictment and was like, I'm out. Um, and then <laughs> I thought this was funny. He also has, let me zoom out a little bit. He's got a, a co-defendant named Waltine Nauta, or Nada. I'd only ever heard of him referred to as Walt. His name is Waltine? Like a saltine cracker? I don't know, that gave me a real chuckle. Anyway, Waltine um, is a co-defendant. There's only two named co-defendants. So Waltine just got a huge boost in his national profile. Um, he's just a lowly Trump aide. He has been by Trump's side since the early days of his presidency. They call him the aide who stayed because so many left when he didn't. He's very loyal to Trump, allegedly. And he allegedly helped move the documents. His fingers are all over this. I like to think of him as the Greg from succession of the Trump presidency, just in the background. 
trying to smooth, schmooze his way, just doing whatever Trump says. So I thought that was interesting. Another interesting point, the judge that's been assigned to this case is Eileen Cannon. Um, if you recognize that name, it's because she's a Trump appointee. She was appointed to the bench in 2020. I saw today that she has a total of 14 total days of trial experience as a judge. So it's like she's overseen a total of 14 days of trial total ever in her judge career. Um, she was appointed in 2020 by Trump. And last year, she ruled in favor of Trump on the same case, in favor for Trump to temporarily keep the classified documents from the FBI, which is something that many legal experts said was way too deferential to the president, ex-president, treating him as though he was president. And it set back the government's investigation because they had to appeal that decision. And then the appeal, appeals court said, yeah, this judge way overstepped. Um, so there are many who are accusing her of being sympathetic to Trump and willing to kind of grease the wheels in his favor. Um, she could recuse herself and say, you know what, public sentiment, like I'm not agreeing that I'm biased, but public sentiment thinks that I am. And so just to maintain the, the fairness of the justice system and to remove any indication of bias, I'm gonna recuse myself. She hasn't made any indication that she's gonna do that and knowing just the type of people that Trump supports, she probably won't. Um, and so she has a lot of power over this case. She has a lot of say so, and there's not a ton that can be done about it at this juncture. She gets to say where it's gonna be located. She gets to set the schedule for when it's gonna happen, which is huge. Um, really the only recourse that they might have if it is obvious that her sentencing is unfair to Trump, meaning like he gets off, like maybe he's found guilty and then she gives him the most, like a ridiculously lenient sentence then the prosecutors could appeal that for judge bias. But other than that, like there's not a lot that can be done. Like we are stuck with this judge. And again, it's really important because she sets the schedule. So she determines when this is gonna happen. And like, there's no time for this trial to unfold that won't have national implications on our presidential election. She could set it to happen in March, which is right when the primaries kick off, or the summer during the primary season, or the fall during the election, or January after he becomes president, if he wins. And then that's the thing where it's like, we don't really know what would happen if a sitting president is prosecuted. I don't even know what his powers would be to like pardon himself or like what could happen. Um, so there's like, there's not a good outcome for this. Like if he is prosecuted during the primaries and he wins the primary and is the Republican nominee and then gets sentenced to prison before the election. I made a whole, a whole video about how like people can technically run for president from prison but the one person who's done that was a socialist and he did not get elected. So we don't know what will happen if he is sentenced to prison before the election or sentenced to prison in the time between the election and his inauguration if he's elected. 
And we don't know what his base is going to do. There hasn't been like widespread rallies about his indictment at this point. Like no one, there aren't like throngs of people outside the courthouse. There are people there like demonstrating in his favor, but not at like a degree that is like concerning necessarily. And it is interesting because if he is convicted and becomes a felon, that poses a lot of questions for the Republican Party, which is the party of law and order, the party that loves prison, the party that hates felons and thinks that they deserve to rot in prison and never vote again. But I don't think his, like his base isn't going to see him as a felon. His base is going to see him as a martyr at the hands of a tyrannical justice system that has been taken over by elites and Jews. <laughs> like they're not going to see it that way. And I don't know what, what will happen if he's indicted, if he's convicted and like what his base of supporters might do, because it's, they're not going to see it as a legitimate conviction anyway. So it feels a very uncertain. And as much as I'm happy that he's getting his just desserts, um, I am also uncomfortable with the amount of unknowns that are coming from this but it does not look good for him. Like I said, there are still many obstacles, like they need to find a jury that's not gonna end in a hung jury because he's got a lot of supporters down in Florida. That being said, if they manage to find a jury that will convict him, maybe the conviction will have more sway over his supporters than if it happened in New York. Because if it happens in Florida, that's like, that's like a jury of their peers, you know? If it happened in New York, it would be a lot easier to write it off as these coast elites, you know what I mean? <sighs> Even Bill Barr, his own attorney general, said that the idea that this is some sort of witch hunt against Trump is absolutely ridiculous, and that if even half of these allegations are true, Trump is toast. He said that the indictment is very, very damning. Bill Barr, William Barr himself. So there's a lot, there's a, there's an uphill battle here. Um, Daddy Jack Smith is in Miami now, which we love to see. Hey, and I was listening to a podcast this morning about this indictment. I don't remember what podcast it was, but they were talking about like how little known Jack Smith is. How everyone's like, Ooh, who's this guy? And I'm like, little known. We've been sexualizing Daddy Jack Smith here on live with Legia for at least six months at this point. <laughs> We know about Daddy Jack Smith. And then they quoted him. I don't think it's in this article. They quoted him as saying, if I were the kind of person who could be cowed, I would find another line of work. Yes, Daddy. Okay. Okay. All right. Can Trump even get a security clearance? That'd be a great question because it's really hard to get a federal security clearance. And like, if you're president, you need the highest one. I was an intern at the Boston uh, attorney, the United States attorney's office in Boston. I forgot for a second um, for three months. And I had to apply like seven months in advance and do a clearance, a security clearance 
because it took so long for the security clearance. And that was me, a lowly intern for three months. I did not get a very high security clearance. It was just enough to make sure that I could like look at basic evidence and documents and stuff. So like that's rigorous. And if you are a felon, <laughs> that's hard. So that's a valid question. <sighs> I'm looking at your all your comments here. I love the part in the transcript when his lawyers where he says, why are you taking notes? Real lawyers don't take notes. Good lawyers do though. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, there's no defending this. And also I saw, I think it was the New York Times newsletter yesterday. So I don't have an article to show you, but I saw something where they were, they listed like, a number of other people, not presidents, but other US officials who have served serious prison time, like two to seven years for doing exactly what he did, for taking documents and showing them to people they weren't supposed to. So like, this is not unprecedented. They were also talking about how this is actually a much better case than the case against him in New York related to the Stormy Daniels payoffs. Because in that case, they kind of had to like, string together a couple different uh, statutes in order to get him basically in a way that really hadn't been done before. So it's very easy to kind of be like, this seems like you're doing it just because you want to get at him. Whereas this prosecution, this case, this has been done before. Many officials have been indicted for similar behavior and received significant prison time for it. So, it's a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> the smuttening of Daddy Jack Smith. Live on air. Anyway, that's Trump o'clock. Uh, Tucker Carlson is, of course, on his bullshit again. Uh, he, he has his tuck on Twitter. Remember we talked about that? Tucker on Twitter is his new like show now that he's all out of Fox and he's saying that Trump's sins are minor compared to those of his persecutors. Just fuck off. But also interestingly, relatedly, um, old Tuck received a cease and desist letter from Fox News over his new Twitter series, which we talked about last week, um, because he's still under contract with Fox, even though they fired him, he's still under contract with them until 2025, meaning he's not allowed to appear on other media. Um, He's, of course, saying it's against his free speech. 
And he's saying that Fox breached the contract before him anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I honestly like hate this man, but I think it makes sense that he's breaking this contract allegedly um, because he has a huge base. And Fox has lost a lot of viewers since they fired him. Fox like lost like a third of their primetime viewership. And they were beaten by MSNBC last week for the first time ever on like viewership numbers. Um, his most recent talk on Twitter got like 80 million views. Like the amount of money he stands to lose if he gets sued by Fox is probably a lot less than the amount of money he stands to gain by becoming a social media figure. He has more freedom. It's why I like being an, a YouTuber because like, I, I've thought about going into like academia, for example, but then you have to answer to like a university. You have to get published a certain way. You have to do what they tell you. You have to kowtow to the, you know, politics of being an academic. Whereas here I get to just talk about whatever the fuck I want. And I hold myself to a high standard, but like, I don't have to answer to anyone, you know? Um, I'm sure he sees the same benefit. And that's dangerous for America because I'm getting like a couple hundred thousand views. He's getting 80 million. <laughs> and that's scary. But I think it makes sense for him to be doing this. <sighs> yeah, he wasn't going to disappear when Fox fired him. And Fox had to have known that as well. I'm sure their lawyers were ready for this. So he's got this cease and desist letter. I don't see him backing down. So there might be a lawsuit because a cease and desist letter is basically saying like, stop it. And if you don't, we'll sue. I wrote many a cease and desist letter when I was a lowly associate at a big law firm. Um, sometimes that you don't follow through on them. Sometimes they're just an empty thread, but I don't think Fox in this case is an empty thread. And Fox stands to make some money off of him if they sue him, but I think he stands to make more money if he continues, because if he if he abides by this contract until 2025, that's after the presidential election. Think of the views. <laughs> think of the views he could get. So I don't think we're I don't think he's going to be done. I don't think he's going to I don't think he's going to stop. All right, let's move on to climate corner. Um, there's a new well, not a new case. There's a case that just started trial over in Montana called Held v. Montana. A bunch of kids are suing the government of Montana um, to enforce their right to a clean and healthful environment. Because in the Montana Constitution, it is guaranteed that the citizens have a right to a clean and healthful environment, which is very cool. The reason why is because Montana had a constitutional convention in 1972 where they rewrote the constitution in 1972 was kind of the beginning of the environmental movement. And so they included that a bunch of people pushed to include that. So a bunch of kids are suing because there's been some state action promoting fossil fuels and laws and permitting that have led to carbon emissions and climate impact. Um, and it impacts the citizens, especially the youth. The reason why it's a bunch of kids suing is because they are especially affected by it because they are more susceptible to the health risks that come with climate change, and they will be suffering for longer because of climate change. Open, opening arguments started on Monday. Um, they have 
They've had five different witnesses so far, three of the youth plaintiffs, a climate researcher, and then one of the authors of the 1972 Montana Constitution who like added this provision in. Um, They're originally suing based on two new laws in Montana that were meant to expand the coal industry. Um, well, one, one law was meant to expand the coal industry, and that has since been repealed. So the lawyers in the state's defense tried to get this whole case thrown out. It got narrowed because that one law was repealed. And then, and so the other one that they're, they're going after is a Montana Environmental Policy Act that instructs agencies not to consider greenhouse gas or climate change in environmental reviews of new projects because it's a very conservative legislature. So they're passing these laws that say like, you can't consider climate change when you're doing your environmental review, which makes no sense, makes no sense. So they're suing to say like, this that's not constitutional. And like the outcome of this case isn't going to be very sweeping. The judge could find, or the jury, I didn't see if, there was, if this was a jury trial or just a bench trial. They could find that this provision is unconstitutional. You can't bar them from considering climate change in their reviews. But like, it's very narrow. It's not going to do away with the fossil fuel industry in Montana. Um, But it could be, if they win, a big victory just for the movement in general. And it could spur similar lawsuits because it sets some sort of judicial precedent that other people can then point to and say they did it in Montana. It made sense there. I think it makes sense here too. So we'll see what the outcome is on that. And then there were just a couple other interesting um, headlines I wanted to cover. And I think they could probably all fall under the headline of get me out of here. Um, So the first one, the EU has taken on AI. They took a major step towards regulating AI They drafted a law that is the world's most far-reaching attempt to address the potentially harmful effects of artificial intelligence. And we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, about how AI has the potential to be as deadly to humans as nuclear weapons, etc. And so I think it's a very good step that the EU is taking to be like, hey, this is spooky and we need to treat it seriously. Um... The European Parliament, which is the main legislative branch of the EU, passed a draft law known as the AI Act, which would put new restrictions on what are seen as the as the technology's riskiest uses. It would severely curtail uses of facial recognition software while requiring makers of AI systems like the ChatGPT chatbot to disclose more about the data used to create their programs. Um, I didn't read the whole thing. My main concern is like AI robot soldiers. (laughs) Uh, I'm scared of that. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that they addressed that as well. But I filed that under get me out of here because send me to Europe, you know, get me out of here. I'd like to be there. I'd like to be take me to there. In related news, I am currently in the process of obtaining Luxembourgish citizenship. If you're new here, uh, my great great grandfather was born in Luxembourg. And so my mother is eligible for Luxembourgish citizenship by birth, by descendancy. And so I'm getting her Luxembourgish citizenship. So then I am then eligible for Luxembourgish citizenship so that I can get the fuck out of here. And I obtained the required documents and they have been sent. They're being reviewed and then sent to Luxembourg. Step one, 
of obtaining my mother's citizenship. This this train is chugging. We're we're making progress to get off this fucking continent. So God bless. In other news that I'll keep in the get me out of here category, a Harvard Medical School morgue manager sold body parts, <laughs> the U.S. says. I made a whole video about body snatching. I just thought this was interesting. Go find that video if you're interested in learning about the history of body snatching because um, it's interesting. And, like, it just makes me think of, like, old-timey grave robbers. But, like, no, the industry is alive and well. Um, there's always been a big... Uh, market for body parts because people want to research them, but also some people want to do weird things with them. Um, several prosecutors said the manager is one of seven people charged with being part of a network that bought and sold remains stolen from Harvard Medical School's morgues and an Arkansas mortuary. This is more common than I'm comfortable with. Uh, he's been charged with selling body parts from donated cadavers and allowing buyers to come to the morgue to choose which parts they wanted. <sighs> They're all part of a nationwide network that bought and sold human remains stolen from Harvard Medical School and a mortuary in Literal Rock where Miss Scott worked. So, Dean of the Faculty of Medicine and medical education called the allegations an abhorrent betrayal. This is going on from 2018 to 2022. So that includes head, heads, brains, skin, and bones. Because you can't trade in like kidneys and hearts, the things that we're able to transplant, those are like heavily regulated, but the sale of bodies, less regulated as long as it's not the ones that are transplantable, more of a black market there and lots of money to be made. Hate it. Okay, other headline, get me out of here related. So a woman just won a $26.6 million, $25 million verdict in her favor against Starbucks. Um, she says that she was fired from Starbucks because of her race. She is white. <laughs> <clears throat> A jury on Monday found in favor of former Starbucks regional director, Shannon Phillips. Um, she worked for Starbucks for 13 years and managed a region of stores in the area. And she was fired after the arrest of two black men at a Philadelphia Starbucks in April, 2018. Do you remember this? Remember when this happened? Um, it's the latest development in an incident that has sparked protest and outrage. In 2018, the two men were asked to leave the coffee shop after sitting at a table without ordering any anything. The men, who declined to leave because they were waiting for a business associate, were escorted out of the coffee shop in handcuffs after a store manager called the police on them. They later reached settlement agreements with Starbucks and the city of Philadelphia. So Phillips, this woman who just won, said the company discriminated against her because of her race when she was let go. She, the complaint says that she took that Starbucks took steps to punish white employees who had not been involved in the arrests, but who worked in and around the city of Philadelphia in an effort to convince the community that it had properly responded to the incident. Phillips, who at the time oversaw areas including Philadelphia, said that Starbucks had ordered her to place a white employee on administrative leave as part of these efforts due to alleged discriminatory, discriminatory conduct, which Phillips said she knew was inaccurate. After Phillips tried to defend the employee, the company let her go. 
The reason for termination, according to the complaint, was that the situation is not recoverable. The complaint argued that this was a pretext for race discrimination, adding that Phillips' race was a motivating and or determinative factor in Starbucks' discriminatory treatment. Okay. As much as I'm like, boo-hoo, like, I don't give a shit about, like, reverse racism is not real. I do think that if you are being fired based on your race, you should be able to win a lawsuit like this, even if you're white, because I want the law, like, the law needs to be applied equally. That's just, like, how it works. However, my qualms with this is that if she was Black... <laughs> I don't think she would have won this. It is really, really hard to win a discrimination case like this because you have to prove that your firing and the reason for your firing was a pretext for your discrimination. That is really hard to prove unless you have like a smoking gun, like an email from someone being like, man, we fired her because of her race. We fired her because she's black. Unless you have that, it's very hard to prove pretext. Like I'm talking, I made a whole video about this um, a long time ago when it was, it's about Bon Appetit. The title is like, let's, we need to talk about Bon Appetit or something. I talked about like workplace discrimination. I believe it was somewhere between like one and 3% of these cases win, like the defend, the, the plaintiff wins. And that's a tiny percentage because the number that go to trial is probably like 1%. Most of them are settled, but maybe like 1% go to trial. And of those, a tiny percentage of, of plaintiffs actually win. So the fact that this white woman won $25.6 million, most of which punitive damages that I'm sure will probably be limited and like lowered on appeal is a little, it's just wild to me. It's just wild. That's all. I just thought it was wild. I, uh, I did this when I read it. I did that motion. Yeah, I don't know why Starbucks didn't settle. Maybe because their chances of winning statistically were very high. <laughs> they probably didn't think that they would lose this. Yeah, unappli unequal application of equal laws. That's right, too white for Starbucks. Just reading all your comments. Yeah. So those are the headlines. <laughs> That's what I got for you. Uh, Consumption Corner, I have been catching up on Drag Race All-Stars. I'm nearly there. I have like half an episode left that I have to catch up on. I was watching it last night and then Moira has been doing this thing. I don't know if you can hear her snoring. She's over here sleeping. Um, she does this thing where once every once in a while, she'll have a full bladder and she'll fall asleep on the couch and be in such a deep sleep that she just pees herself. And I've taken her to the vet and they checked her out and they were like, that just can happen sometimes. And so I was in the middle of the episode and I looked down and there was just pee <laughs> all over the couch. And so I had to stop and get out the like, I don't know if you guys know the green, little green machine, the like pet cleaner, 
cleaned the whole couch, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I still got to finish that episode. Um, but it's fun. I'm going to be tomorrow recording an episode of the podcast Sissy That Pod, which is a drag race podcast talking about all-stars, which is why I had to get caught up so that I didn't look like a fool on this podcast. So keep your, your eyes peeled for Sissy That Pod for my episode. I was on an episode last season of All-Stars, All-Stars 7, which was fun. So I'm happy to be back. A couple of Irish pals run that, run that podcast. So that'll be a real fun. Go give it a listen. Um, that's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah. It's summertime. I'm having a great time. I'm trying to get out and about, see the world, see, see what's going on. I went to a cabin last weekend. I'm just trying to really live it up, really enjoy my summer. Anyway, thanks for being here. Um, if you don't know, I release this, the audio of this, as a podcast later every Thursday. Um, so you can listen to all past episodes. You can listen to this as a podcast. It usually doesn't drop until like the afternoon, if I'm being honest. But like, it's there for you if you prefer to consume this in spoken word format instead of visually. All right. Thanks for being here. Um, if you haven't, check out my new video from yesterday. Uh, what was it about? It was all about why conservatives are obsessed with trans kids. Um, that was fun to make. And next week's video is going to be all about why Americans are so susceptible to fake news, which I think will be a fascinating deep dive. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And I'll be back next Thursday live per usual. See you then. for listening to Live with Lija. Catch me live over on YouTube every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time or listen in podcast form every Thursday afternoon. See you next time, you dirty little rascal.